Welcome to the Financial Planners Southeast Asia podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically within Southeast Asia. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Welcome to another episode of the Financial Planners Southeast Asia podcast. When here and today, I am with a special guest because he is a fee-based financial planner and he's based in Singapore, but he deals with Australian um, expats. So please help me welcome Jared Brown. Thank you very much, Gwen. Uh, really good to be here and really appreciate uh, the opportunity to come onto the podcast today. Oh, the pleasure and is all mine. I am very happy that you're here because I feel like this is uh, an important topic that I have wanted to discuss last year, but I wasn't able to find um, a financial advisor who whose niche is expats. So, oh, actually, I have, but we weren't able to talk about that particular topic. So I'd like to discuss this with you, Jared. But before sure. we dive into that, um, I'd like our listeners to have uh, or to get to know you more. So how did you get into financial advice? Sure. Okay. So look, uh, let me give you the condensed version of the long story so as not to, to bore anyone tuning in. Um, so I originally, you know, from Perth, Perth is originally home. And as we're recording this today, I am sitting in uh, one of our offices in South Perth, mm-hmm. which is lovely on a beautiful summer day. It's about 39 degrees, which I'm not really used to, but anyway, getting a bit off topic. Um, but worked as financial planner in Perth for a number of years, always had a, a really strong, strong interest in shares, investing, Uh, wealth accumulation, the whole piece and really the whole strategy behind how do you build genuine wealth Mm -hmm. Um, and worked with some fantastic clients, fantastic people here in Perth. Started then to travel, I guess, a bit more throughout Asia, throughout the rest of the world and very quickly realized that Australia is a very small part of the global puzzle. Mm. Uh, So then started thinking about, well, Look, I, I'm relatively young, uh, perhaps uh, older than some of your listeners, younger than some others, uh, and thought, look, you know, my my then partner, now wife, Linda, and I uh, didn't and, and still don't currently have children. You know, what an opportune time to go and work somewhere else. So naturally, Asia was a, a pretty attractive destination from a wealth management viewpoint. Uh, so made the decision about nine years ago to mm. relocate to Singapore. Very quickly found there was a huge Australian expat population, very much in need of specialist financial advice, and just found uh, you know very quickly that the people we were meeting, the Australian expats that we were meeting, mm. you know, were similar but but also different, I guess, in terms of the challenges, the opportunities they faced, you know, compared to our clients back in Perth. Yeah. So, like, what are the differences in how Australians um, face financial advice in Singapore versus in Australia? Sure. Look, uh, that's a, a good question. I mean, one of the one of the things we quickly found was that Australian expats 
I would suggest more than most other nationalities are far more likely to return to Australia. Mm. Now, that could be either to work, to start a family or to retire. But naturally, we all sort of have this natural pull back to you know, the, the homeland, back to Australia. Um, so whether we have superannuation or we have insurances or investments or property back in Australia, naturally something you know, typically pulls us back. Uh, so we found there was a huge need for that advice to work both from an Australian perspective, but then also, well, what do we do while we're in Singapore? Or, or what do we do while we're somewhere else in the world? You know, how do we build wealth in this other jurisdiction, whether it be cash or shares or bonds or buying property or CPF, pension accounts in another jurisdiction, with the view that we're going to come back to Australia one day? You know, how do we do yeah. that while we're offshore? How do we plan to move back? And then how on earth do we bring all of this stuff back into Australia yeah. without having you know, bits and pieces of money all over the world? So the challenges just got a lot more global. The opportunities certainly expanded exponentially uh, in terms of you know, how much wealth could be accumulated, how much you could fast track, I guess, your sort of progress uh, towards achieving your goals. But the complexities really ramped up. Yes, because it's you're not only dealing with like regulations and um, stocks and all of those components in in a in one country. You're dealing it with if two, if not more countries, regulations and all that stuff. Now, because you were already a, a licensed financial advisor in Australia, how has that experience helped you? when you started your practice um, in Singapore or did it ever, um, were there any challenges you had to overcome because of that as well? Uh, yeah, look, uh, I guess a little bit of both. Um, obviously, understanding the challenges from an Australian viewpoint, you know, certainly stood us in, in, you know, in a good position dealing with Australians in other countries uh, because naturally, you know, we understood the superannuation, the insurance Sort of, I guess, the, the basics of, you know, what a typical Australian financial planner would face and therefore could kind of talk the language with Australians in other countries. Um, and that was also one of the reasons we, yeah. we sort of elected to only work with Australian expats. Uh, we have a very small portion of our client base um, who are other nationalities who have largely been referred by our Australian clients but, you know, naturally our, our expertise, our niche, our entire business model is really built around providing that, you know, what I would call the sort of touch of home, that Australian expat advice to Aussies, you know, all over the world. So it sort of stood us in good stead in terms of, you know, providing transparent advice, fee-based advice where, you know, which, which I think quite a number of Australians really understand and appreciate particularly anyone who's been paying attention to the Royal Commission or who might have dealt with a financial planner back in Australia, that transparency was really important um, and obviously put us in a good position to kind of, I guess, distinguish ourselves from other practices throughout Asia. Mm, that's really interesting. Now, um, was there a particular way in how you marketed yourself in order to um, reach Australian ex expats in Singapore or was it more like a word of mouth kind of thing? 
Uh, good question. Look, it's been a bit of an evolving model. So, um, <laughs> and again, not to not to bore everyone with the with the detail. But originally, we had a uh, effectively a joint venture set up between a Sydney-based uh, advisory firm and a Singapore-based advisory firm, again, to provide that specialist Australian expat advice. Uh, that Singapore-based firm was then acquired by a UK fund manager. And th- there was, a, a, I guess, not quite as seamless a fit um, as what we felt would suit our clients. So we then picked up our model, um, moved um, our sort of Australian expatriate focus across to Global Financial Consultants, um, which is now our licensee in in Singapore, which oddly enough was set up in Sydney back in 97 and is now one of the oldest um, non sort of non-aligned advisory firms in Asia, which is a nice fit. Um, And then have effectively partnered with Ally Wealth Management in Australia to again provide that sort of seamless experience. So, you know, for our Aussie expat clients in Singapore or the US or wherever they may be, we can look at their superannuation in Australia, their insurance in Australia, their investments in their 401k, their, you know, CPF investments in Singapore, whatever else it might be, um, puts us in, a, you know, quite a, I guess, a unique position um, to deal with the Australian expats. And on the back of that, um, you know, we've tried to sort of run videos, run, you know, a big believer in webinars, the sort of lunch and learn style sessions, the back when uh, we were allowed to gather face-to-face yeah. outside of Western Australia, uh, you know, the old wine and cheese evenings, you know, sort of an hour on what Aussie expats need to know, need to know about money. All of those things I've always loved because, you know, I've always found the Australian expat community is a very tight-knit community. Yeah, And if we can ensure that the right information is going out there, we've always just, I guess, sort of been a big believer in that, you know, coming full circle. Those who who want and need advice would always come to us. And if not, at the very least, we're spreading the right information out there. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I agree with you. The Australian um, expat community is very tight because um, I used to work for a migration agent years and years ago and she would come here as well and she would visit the same watering holes and and just meet with the same mates. So, and it was very interesting um, that she could just somewhat like picked up where she left off after being away um, in Australia after how many years and coming back here in the Philippines to have a chat with them and see what they're up to like her previous clients and all that stuff so that's very interesting Mm -hmm. and it's also very interesting that you mentioned that Australians tend to return to um, back to Australia later on in life so that's very I wonder, like, do you know what are the most common reasons why they tend to return back to Australia? Uh, Look, lots of reasons. I mean, I think Australia is, in very simplistic terms, um, and I mean this in the most endearing way, a big, beautiful sandpit. It's a lovely place to live. It's from a work-life balance viewpoint. It's the place to be, the weather whilst extreme at times, uh, is a great place to be. The culture is very friendly. 
we have, you know, great produce. We're gradually learning that you're allowed to open beyond the hours of nine to five. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're relatively accepting of different cultures. You know, we've got a great dining scene, great travel opportunities and some incredible places to, to sort of see and be. I think of all the countries in the world from a lifestyle perspective, Australia, Australia is a beautiful place. You know, when we look at things financially, I would suggest that superannuation is arguably one of the most attractive parts of the Australian tax system. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and certainly makes Australia a very attractive place to retire, obviously, as long as you plan appropriately and and uh, sort of position yourself for that outcome. Um, you know, obviously, Australians typically love property, not terribly unique amongst many other nationalities, but a lot of Australians have a, a home that they might have rented out to move offshore. They might have a portfolio of properties. We tend to be a relatively stable market um, in that regard and, and also quite a large residential property market, um, particularly relative to our superannuation system. So, I mean, I would suggest for a lot of reasons, Australia is just a very attractive place to be, uh, whether lifestyle, employment, kind of balancing, I guess, all of those, you know, again, to use a probably an overused term, those sort of work-life factors. Yes, that, that's so true. And and that's cool, right? And, but I wonder, though, because some Australians go to other countries, um, and let's say in, in, the, in your case in Singapore, to, to marry a local. Now, are there any challenges that you've encountered when providing advice to couples from different nationalities? That, that's, that's a very broad question. <laughs> <laughs> and the short answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I mean, there are just so many, and naturally this is, is a, you know, a very common occurrence. Um, an Australian male or female moves to another country, mm. falls in love with a person from a different country, and they marry or, or enter some form of a relationship, naturally that throws up all sorts of challenges, uh, whether that be, you know, if we look at planning to return to Australia, well, you know, do they have a right to reside in Australia? Is there foreign buyer surcharges, foreign tax duties because of buying property? Can we set up superannuation? What right do they have to reside in different countries? Do they have pensions in that other? I mean, there's just so much to consider. Yeah. Um, and this this has sort of always, I guess, been quite a common part of the advice we provide just because it is so prevalent. Do I think it's increased over the years? I've been in Singapore nine years. I don't think it's changed a great deal. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the desire for people to move abroad and find love, I think, has probably been slowed down a little bit by COVID naturally. Yes. <laughs> but That's outside right. of that, is it going to return? I'm sure it will as soon as people are able. Yeah. So you mentioned as well that you've you you've been in Singapore for nine years, so almost a decade now. How mm-hmm. were you able to manage to like deal with differences in culture, local mindset <clears throat> and government regulations? Look, good question. So when when uh, Linda and I sort of sat down and thought about where where we might not, might like to live, where we might like to work, 
Um, we sort of settled on a few key jurisdictions as options uh, from a business viewpoint, uh, and they were New York, Switzerland, Hong Kong, and Singapore, um, to be com- completely transparent. Yeah. Uh, New York and Switzerland, we felt, were arguably perhaps not as growth-oriented as Hong Kong and Singapore. And then, so then naturally we looked at Asia um, and to be totally honest, I don't speak Cantonese or Mandarin and (laughs) I had no real desire or intellectual capability to learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Singapore was a very easy option. English is the spoken language of Singapore. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is very easy to function, live, thrive, survive in Singapore. Um, Naturally, there are cultural differences. That being said, I mean, a lot of people refer to Singapore as Asia for beginners. Um, Ah. It's a very well-run country that works extremely well. It's very efficient. And if you're in Singapore, particularly as an expat uh, for business or career progression, I think Singapore arguably, in my opinion at least, is probably the best place on earth you could possibly be. Mm. If you're looking for work-life balance, look elsewhere. (laughs) Singapore is not the destination for you. It's a great Um, place. You can travel, obviously, in non-COVID times. You can mm. travel elsewhere. It's the world's best airport. You know, the world is at your doorstep. You can get a cheap flight to most parts of the world. Uh, But it is very much a career-oriented, a progress-oriented society where people genuinely want to get ahead. The government is extremely supportive for innovation, for, uh, you know, at the moment there's a huge focus on fintech, cybersecurity, the entire space. Uh, And if you're looking to launch a business or progress in your career, I I would say Singapore is a no-brainer to be looking at. Um, and to be honest, you know, sort of somewhat selfishly, but not really. I think more Australians should be looking at Singapore uh, as a place to be, even if it's only for two or three years, and even if it's only to save the property deposit. Um, oh, wow. It's just a phenomenal place to um, to really get ahead. Yeah, well, you sold me on that. <laughs> so, but yes, I'll, I've, I'll I've been send my bill into the uh, Singapore Tourism Agency later. <laughs> That's wonderful, and yes, uh, I've been meaning to go to Singapore, uh, Singapore for quite some time now. Um, oh yes, I actually, me and my friends actually booked a ticket that would have gone out May of 2020, um, oh, wow. but COVID happened March. <laughs> So, yes, that was interesting. Yeah. So, but again, so we we talked about this before we started the podcast that hopefully soon everything is going to um, become new normal normal. So, uh, fingers crossed. But you have been mentioning your wife, Linda, and she is your business partner. So, two. I want to touch on that because I find it interesting for um, couples to work in the same business. How, like, at the very beginning of your careers, did you guys decide that you'll be working together or did that just come, like, organically over time? Uh, Look, it's a little bit of both, but probably more of the latter, to be honest. So, Mm. uh, Lina and I have 
run a number of charity, so not-for-profit projects mm-hmm. um, over the years, largely as part of uh, various Rotary clubs across Australia and Singapore. Um, so naturally, we've always worked very closely to, you know, to pull those off and arguably in some ways closer than you would a company, um, you know, when it comes to not-for-profit. Uh, but from a business sense, Linda has uh, very much run her own practice in terms of social media marketing, LinkedIn, advertising, marketing, consulting, career coaching, business coaching, um, mm. and being, being very successful in that area. Mm. Um, and then we, we kind of reached a point where we were working somewhat closely together, traveling the world, working with different clients, all you know, different Australian expat clients all over the world and thought, look, now, now is probably the time to, you know, to, to sort of bring those businesses together. Um, so naturally, Linda sort of brings her expertise around the marketing, coaching, consulting side to, to our businesses um, to work with Australians all over the world. And naturally, obviously, that allows us to sort of travel more flexibly and have a bit more flexibility about where we're based. Um, but again, I guess because we've sort of had that experience at the not-for-profit level, um, which personally having experienced both, I would argue, is perhaps more stressful uh, at times anyway. But I guess because we've had that experience that made the corporate side that much easier. Um, And I think, you know, we have our sort of division of labour and we have our set responsibilities. We have our, um, you know, sort of workflow management. You you each sort of try and... uh, stay in your lane, I guess, and, yeah. you know, naturally even now and then, you know, there needs to be a, a, a discussion, a heated discussion if that takes place. But um, for the most part, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, wonderful. So Linda seems like a very wonderful, awesome woman. So I, I actually asked, and this is a bit selfish of me, because my husband is a financial advisor and I'm oh. into like, I'm a financial advocate, but I'm mainly into marketing as well. So uh, I, I want, I've always wanted to know how it, it, it's like for other um, business folks to to work as husband and wife in in the same business. So yeah, <laughs> but I'm glad to know that it like it's working for you guys, and especially nine years on to the business and, and a very successful business at that. So it's so cool. Yeah, look, I, I would only encourage you to explore. Um, yeah, look, I mean. Having done it, I would not have it any other way. Yeah. Uh, having had conversations with many, many clients over the years who've done various things with their partners, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not something for everyone. Yes. Um, yes and, um, you know, there needs to be a bit of self-awareness around strengths, weaknesses, you know, what, what sort of sets each other off and is this a sensible path to go down? Um, but I think if you can do it well, uh, it can be tremendously fun, rewarding, uh, and, and you know, obviously, hopefully, financially successful. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's not for everyone, but if it works well for you, then it's actually one of the best things. So that's really great advice, Jared. Now, since we're conscious about time, I just have one more question to to ask you, and that is, what is your advice for financial planners who um, 
and not just like Australian fi- financial planners, but also and especially here in Southeast Asia, who would like to move to another country and serve fellow expats. Okay, so sorry, just to clarify, are we talking about Australian financial planners in Australia or financial planners in Asia or both? Um, both. So, like a general advice. Okay, that that that's a very broad question. Broad question, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. We can tackle that one. Okay. Look, I think uh, first and foremost, I mean, I'll try and give, I guess, some sort of overarching advice mm. um, and then perhaps some specific advice specific, for, yeah, okay. for either or mm. um, and try and make this as helpful as possible. Um, I think first and foremost, you really need to decide, as with any any business, financial planning, cafe, restaurant, whatever you're trying to do, decide who you want to work with. Um, you know, very early on in our business, we decided we only wanted to work with Australian expats. Now, as I said earlier, we have a, a, a very small handful of other nationality clients who we absolutely love and will continue working with, but 99% of our clients are Australian expats. Uh, and we made that choice because, A, selfishly, we wanted to spend a little bit more time back in Australia visiting our clients, mm-hmm. but the more importantly, we just loved working with other Australians. We could relate, you know, we understand super insurance, all the moving pieces when it came to that Australian piece. Yeah. Um, so that I would say is probably the starting point to work out, do you want to work with Australians? Do you want to work with businesses? Do you want to work with Singaporeans, Malay, Indonesians, whatever it might be? And that, that's that got to kind of be your guiding light as to, how do you structure your business? Mm-hmm. If it's just I want to be a financial planner to everyone, I think that's going to be problematic yeah. um, because you know naturally the it's sort of the jack of all trades and master yeah. of none mm-hmm. uh, sort of approach to business. So I think starting with that is very sensible. If you if you want to go down even further to drill into, all right, well, what niche am I going to suit? Am I going to work with a specific sector? Mm-hmm. Naturally, you can. Um, then I think once you've sort of cemented that, it's then working out well. Um, and obviously, just to add, obviously, come and talk to myself first, and you know, hopefully, we can work together just to get our own little plug in there before we mm-hmm. go any yes. further. Sure. Um, but then, then also deciding, well, how are you going to split your time? If you're going to work, for example, with Indonesian clients, how much time will you spend in Australia? How much time will you spend in Indonesia? How are you covered from a licensing perspective, mm-hmm. which is obviously incredibly important? Can you market and solicit business in Indonesia? Yeah. Do you need to work with a partner in Indonesia? Now, I'm just using Indonesia as a hypothetical example, obviously, here. Yep. But you really need to do your homework here to check out whether you can solicit business, whether you need to work via a, a third party, should you partner, should it be a joint venture, should you separate, set up a separate entity? as a jointly owned entity to sort of generate and derive that business. Mm-hmm. And that's all going to be pretty critically important to work out, you know, what's going to be next going forward. And once you've got that part done, then I would say it's down to the marketing. You know, how are you going to actually solicit business in that particular country? Uh, is it video? You know, are you good on TikTok? Is it webinars, seminars? How are you actually going to get people to, to listen to you? And, and, you know, to really hear what you've got to say. Yeah. 
um, you know, these things can take time. I think social media has accelerated a lot of it. Yeah. And made, you know, made a lot of it much faster, much easier to, to really reach people. But that said, I really think you need to get, you know, the messaging correct to the right people, work out the niche before anything else can really happen. Um, and, and obviously also, as I mentioned, really make sure you're covered from a compliance, from a licensing perspective mm. uh, in terms of the business that you're actually soliciting and reaching out to. Ah, oh, that's wonderful. And I I think that's echoing to the, the same advice that Clayton Daniel provided as well uh, when I asked him for any advice for any financial advisor starting out in the industry, right? And you're right, it's, it's too... It's very difficult to become a jack of all trades than a master mm. of none. It's better to, and I love the the way you phrase it, to decide who you want to work with in the first place, because that way it's easier for you to know what you need to know and um, know who you need to um, pass on the knowledge and who you're going to market it to. So wonderful. Mm. Thanks for coming to the show, Jared. And yes, I've learned so much and I hope the listeners have learned so much with regards to um, how uh, being a financial advisor for expats work and how, and you know being able to work in a country that's awesome while still being able to go back to to Australia to relax and retire so that's so awesome and before we end where can people find you if they want to know more about you if they want to reach out to you uh, where can they go Perfect. Well, look, firstly, thank you so much for the opportunity. really appreciate it and I oh, no uh, really problem. do genuinely hope uh, that there's been some helpful content there and, and hopefully a, a few helpful insights there as well. Um, as far as reaching out to me, uh, there's YouTube. Um, I think it's Jared Brown, Australian Expert Finance, something along those lines. Uh, there is also my LinkedIn, uh, usually the easiest to reach out. There's Facebook, there's Instagram as well. Any one of them, but LinkedIn usually the best best place to touch base. Okay, cool. So I'll put all of um, your social information in the show notes, um, particularly your LinkedIn, your YouTube, and Facebook and Instagram. So I'll be happy to connect with you there as well. So again, thank you so much for coming into the show, Jared. It was a pleasure having a chat with you. Have a good one in sunny is it sunny in perth now and sunny perth <laughs> it is 39 degrees today and maybe <laughs> dropping to about 37 at the moment so yes it's certainly sunny <laughs> all right have a good one thank you so much gwen really appreciate it <laughs>